We've already had uh, so much from our children, from, uh, from the worship team, and uh, we will continue in looking into God's Word and how He would uh, speak to us and teach us uh, this morning. I, I wonder if you were to describe to someone who had maybe never experienced church, maybe never even uh, knew much about what, what a church is and what a church does, I wonder what what metaphors or pictures that you might use to describe what it is. Uh, I I'd read this week of a, of a pastor who, uh, he looked to a number of very poor pictures, poor uh, metaphors for, for what the church is, and, and yet they're, uh, they're, they're metaphors that maybe capture something about how uh, we are tempted to see uh, the church in our own lives. He said, some people see it as a spiritual gas station, a place where you come to fill up and then not really think about too much until you feel like you're running on empty again, and then you come back to fill up some more. He said, some people see church as a, uh, a spiritual theater where you go to see some religious people perform. Uh, other people, he said, see it as a, something of a spiritual drugstore where you go and you get your prescription of some uh, spiritual medication, maybe, to ease your, uh, your psychological needs. And other people, he said, see it as a spiritual tourist destination, a place to drop in and see what's going on. Uh, all of those are, are not, not great, not real good uh, pictures of what the church was called to be and what we are to be as a church. And yet they're each describing something of uh, where, where our, our culture would pull us to, uh, uh, to reduce church to and uh, to, uh, to really change it into something that it was never intended to be. One of the things that's common about all of those pictures is they take the people and the relationships out of church and turn them into uh, an event or or a place. Uh, and, and I think that's common, that, that more and more people are seeing church as a place rather than a spiritual community. Uh, they will see it as an event rather than as a, uh, a, a place of, of relationship and engagement. And that's, that's a problem. Uh, in, in Christianity Today last week, they reported on LifeWay research that really was speaking to this uh, same issue. And according to the survey, fewer than, fewer than half of churchgoers said that they spend time with other believers in order to build themselves up spiritually. Didn't really see that other people spending time with other believers in fellowship was important or necessary for them to grow. Hey, I've got God, I've got my Bible, what else do I need? Uh, further to that, there were two-thirds of churchgoers agreed with the statement, I can walk with God without other believers. Two-thirds of people. A majority of people in, in maybe churches, um, maybe ours too, um, I can walk with God without other people. That's a problem because as you read the, the Bible and how the Bible describes church, that is completely foreign to its picture and understanding of, of, uh, uh, of this thing called church that we are called to. 
It's also a problem because the fact is we can't walk with God without other people. At least we weren't designed to walk with God or to enjoy our walk with God without the engagement of other people. We're called to spiritual relationships. And today's passage talks about that. It talks about how the church can be all that it can be. And it, it can only be all that it can be when we see uh, the church as a spiritual community, as a spiritual family under Christ. Uh, if, in, if you have your Bibles, we are coming to the end now. We're at the end of the summer. We're also at the end of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, I'm going to work through uh, chapter 5, starting in uh, verse 12 down to verse 24. We're going to read it in three sections as I explain it. We've got a little less time um, today, but uh, uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me there in the pew Bibles in the rack in front of you. It's on page 929. And uh, if you would just keep that open in front of you, I'll read um, for verses, uh, uh, starting in verse 12 and 13. And, and this passage is really going to give us three ways that we can help make the church all that it was intended to be. And the first is, is really to make it painless for leaders to lead. And so just to, uh, following along as I read verses 12 to 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you and esteem them, uh, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So Paul starts this section by appealing to the church to show respect to its leaders. And it, it, it's not that he's asking for respect for himself. He's actually um, writing to them from afar, uh, but he's calling for uh, the church to really stop and think about the, the way that they interact with those in their midst that are seeking to build them up. It, it isn't so much focused on how people treat the pastor as it is on uh, the ministry leaders, the Sunday school teachers that helped uh, make uh, our presentation this morning possible, the youth leaders who are um, hard at work in trying to serve, lead, guide us as a congregation, help us as we seek to um, minister in all that God has called us to do. It, the call is to, is to lift them up and to show respect to them. But I, I don't think it's so much uh, in showing them, giving them accolades as it is in uh, working with them in a spirit of, of help and, and cooperation. There's nothing harder than trying to lead a ministry where everybody's just going to do their own thing. Uh, trying to lead a ministry where people aren't really interested in listening. When you get blown off, when you, you make a request, you, you uh, ask, you uh, send out information. Or a ministry leader trying to get some help um, and is left holding the bag. And... and here, the, here the, the message is that when we, when we ignore the schedule, when we tr really don't treat those ministry leaders uh, the way that we know we would respect someone that, uh, that was important to us, the, the idea here is that their job becomes uh, burdensome. We make it painful for them to lead, and that's no uh, benefit to us. It, Hebrews 13, 17 puts it this way. Obey your leaders and submit to them, 
for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see what it's saying there? It's saying if you make a leadership a burden to people, then they will begin to groan in their labor. And when you groan, you, you've experienced things that you do, things in your life where you just think, boy, it's just such a drudgery. There's people that make my, my life in this area so difficult. You know how you respond in those situations. You either, uh, you either check out, you, you say, I'm, I just... I don't want to, I've had enough. I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. And you step back and step away. Or you just say, well, I guess I got to keep doing this, but I'm just going to dial it down. I'm just not going to put so much effort into it because people are making it so difficult for me. And, and he's saying, surely you don't want that to happen with the, 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 the leaders that are serving among you because they're, they feel a sense of responsibility before God to watch over your souls. To, to care for you and to build you up spiritually. And he's saying that just to, to, to blow them off and to treat them with uh, a different level of respect than you would treat other people that you know are important in your life, that, that doesn't make sense to you. That's not to your advantage. That, that hurts all of us. And, and, and so the, the appeal is there. Every time... On the other hand, you honor our ministry leaders. You lift up and, and make, the, make the service of those who are, who are faithfully working in our Sunday school or who are um, leading our various ministries. Every time that you give them your attention, you, you make it clear to them that, that uh, you're on their side and you are cooperating to make their ministry uh, all that it can be. You lift them up. And you move them from a position of groaning to a position of delight and joy. And when they're serving with joy, guess what? All of us get blessed. And, and so really this, this encouragement that if we want the church to be all that it can be, we need to work at making it painless for leaders to lead, to lift them up and to show them, uh, show them our cooperation and support. But if we want the church to be all that it can be, we also need to make it easier for others to follow. We, we each have a responsibility to engage people in building them up, in building one another up, and helping, helping it, uh, help making it easier for, uh, for others around us to follow. This gets brought out in verses 14 to 15, so if you'd follow along, I'll, I'll read from there. And we urge you, brothers... Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, I want you to first notice who this is addressed to. Because after saying uh, initially in verse 14, we urge you brothers, it goes on to talk about admonishing, encouraging, and helping people in the congregation. And you probably are reading that and thinking, oh yeah, that admonishing and encouraging and helping, that's what the leaders do. But interestingly, this, these verses, and specifically those, uh, those uh, commands and appeals, are given to just everyday people in the congregation. It's given to all of us. That... And the, the message here is that uh, 
the responsibility to be doing that admonishing and encouraging and helping is given to each one of us. We are responsible for one another. We are, we are not people who attend an event that is put on by someone else. We are people who come together as family, and when we do, we minister to each other as such. The church will never become what it, um, all that it can be unless we take that responsibility seriously. Uh, unless we begin to see the people around us as brothers and sisters in Christ who need our investment in them, who need our prayers for them, who need to come alongside and build up and lift up. And, and frankly, one of the things that I love about serving at Grace is that there are so many of you who do this. There are so many of you who come who uh, just... Week by week and throughout the week, you feel a sense of love and responsibility to care for the people that you see around you. Uh, you take an interest in people and you feel a, a sense of calling. I, I can't do everything, but I can do my part in helping to build up the people around me. And, and that's how the church becomes all that it can be. We make it easier for others to follow as we seek to do that. Now, if we're going to take responsibility for, for each other, the passage gives us some insight into the nature of people. Uh, we all have different needs, and, and as we engage with one another, if we're not aware of those different needs, we can, we can do more harm than good. And, and so it lays out a, a number of uh, different circumstances that people have and how we can respond to them. It, it starts in verse 14 by saying, admonish the idol. Here the word idol is referring to people, well, how it got used outside of the church, uh, most typically in, in, in Roman culture, were people who didn't show up for work, the people who were sleeping on the job, uh, the people who were just idle in the sense that they just weren't willing to give themselves to what they were called to. And, and, and here the message is that uh, in, the first, in the first century church, there were people who had come to see the church as something of a spectator sport. They had come to see it as maybe a performance, maybe somewhere where people will serve me, but they didn't realize that they had a role to play as well. That, that God expected each one to have a, a little contribution in building something uh, in, in, in their midst that could be something greater than the sum of its parts. And so the encouragement here is for the idol, for those people who, spiritually speaking, don't show up to work, don't show up to minister, are, are, are really still seeing church as a spectator sport. Um, you need to know if, if you have been spectating for a, uh, a length of time here at Grace, it's really not okay. That's not what the church is called to be. And we can't be the church that God calls us to be as long as uh, people who have a contribution to make are sitting on the sidelines and not, not, uh, not engaging, uh, not, not stepping in. And so it starts with that. All of our responsibility is to, to do that. And, and, and here the, it's interesting because it's not so much addressed to the leaders. As I said, it's addressed to everyday people. So uh, you need to know it's God's will for you to serve. 
It's our ministry leader's uh, responsibility to invite you to serve and to give you opportunities to serve. But on the other hand, it's all of our responsibility to help each other not be idle by saying, hey, I'm, I'm serving in this area and I know there's a need. I'd love to have you serve alongside me. Why don't we do this together? Why don't we, why don't we get involved this, this fall? And, and so it's something that we collectively help each other in because we need each other's help. After admonishing the idle, the call is to encourage the faint-hearted. And here, the faint-hearted are people who find themselves in circumstances that overwhelm them. People who just don't have the courage to see a way forward, who don't have the faith to believe, I think I can make it through here. And here it's not so much like that there's some special class of particularly faint-hearted people, but more so I think that if we're, if we're honest, all of us will go through times in our lives where we will find ourselves here. We will find ourselves faint-hearted, overwhelmed. It's too much for me. I don't know if I can, if I can continue on. And Paul says we need to recognize that there are people around us that are going through that faint-hearted phase in their life. They are overwhelmed by their circumstances and they need us to come along all of us to come along and to provide that encouragement, provide that strengthening, uh, provide that help to build them up and, and remind them God is good and we can trust him to move forward. So uh, we're, call, we're called to uh, encourage the faint-hearted. Finally, it says to help the weak. The church is to be a hospital for the soul. It is to be a place where people can come in times of great need and find help. Find people who will lift them up. But the idea is not that there is some uh, paid hospital staff, but that each of us are serving as uh, volunteer doctors and nurses, that, that we might minister to one another and lift one another up in Christ, that the weak might get helped and that each might see uh, God at work as we seek to do our part. So everyone has different needs, but... In another sense, everybody has the same need. Because after uh, calling people to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, Paul adds, and be patient with, all of, uh, with them all. We need to be patient with each other. There is something that we all need, which is uh, a patience in relating, a compassion in uh, relating to one another. We need patience with one another because we're the people that recognize we've fallen short of God's standard. We're the ones that recognize hey, we're, we're sinners. We, we, we agree with God that we have fallen short, that we've, we've fallen short of his standards and expectations. And guess what? We'll probably fall short of each other's standards and expectations too. So we need to be patient with one another. We we recognize that we're sinners. We believe and agree with God that we're those who fall short. And, and so that should, that should elicit some compassion in us. I, I, I know how patient God is with me. Therefore, I want to be patient with others. And, and so we, we're patient for that reason. We're also patient with each other. We need to be patient with each other because we recognize there's more going on behind the scenes than we usually are aware of, right? We, we have been through those times where 
our life circumstances have been sufficiently complex that if somebody looking in from the outside, they are liable to make a wrong conclusion. They are liable if they just make some snap judgments and assumptions, they're going to see us in a very poor light. And yet the reality is many of us have things going on. We've got our stuff. We've got our issues. And, and there's things that we're dealing with. And so we need to be patient with each other. E- even as we are still admonishing the idle, encouraging the faint-hearted, and helping the weak. We do so patiently. We do so compassionately. So the church becomes all that can be when we make it painless for leaders to lead, when we make it easier and easy for others to follow. But finally, as we grow in dependence on God. This passage ends where it should end, by calling us to a deeper reliance on Jesus Christ, Uh, more, more of God in our midst. Listen to the final words starting in verse 16, and I'll read down to verse 24. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now this passage ends by reminding us that the church can never be just a human institution. We are a supernatural community. It is a spiritual community. And and the moment we start acting like we are either just a business or like the Rotary Club, some some, some social club or even a, a club that is seeking to do good works in the community, then we begin relating to one another and seeing what we are doing as merely human. But the reminder here is that God is in our midst. This is a supernatural community. It's a spiritual community. God calls us, first of all, to rejoice always in verse 16. Rejoice always because no matter what is going on in our lives, we know all that Jesus has done for us. We always have something and someone to look back on with joy in our hearts for. Knowing what we know of God's goodness and love, we can also give thanks in all circumstances as uh, as it encourages in verse 18. Not that all of my circumstances are good because some of them just feel lousy. But we give thanks because we recognize that even in those circumstances that feel lousy, we know we have a good God that in his great wisdom has led us through them, has allowed those, and will bring good out of them. So we give thanks in all circumstances. We also know that whatever is going to be done here, Whatever is going to be accomplished in our midst will be more than just what those leaders will lead and followers will follow. There will be a divine dimension to all that takes place, and because of that, we are called to pray. We are called to a dependence upon God in prayer. We pray without ceasing. We pray about everything. 
Uh, to pray without ceasing is to, uh, to pray about all of the issues and things in our lives because we recognize that they are not going to be accomplished just by our human effort. But it also means to pray without ceasing, to not stop praying, to not give up praying. Even when you go and you get that first door and the door is closed and you think, boy, that was not sure what was going on there. You get the second door closed, the third door closed. You're tempted to think, well, this doesn't really make any difference. I don't seem to be getting anywhere. I'm just going to cease praying. No, I'm going to press on. I press on because I believe that God is good that God is to be trusted, that I can put my life in his hands and he can uh, bring his good purposes to bear. So I don't cease praying. I don't stop praying. I keep on because I trust in God's goodness. We also need more of the Holy Spirit among us. And so the appeal in verse 19 is to not quench the Spirit. It's to not put out his fire. Uh, Not to not to extinguish what the Holy Spirit would do in our, in our midst because we are too self-reliant, too independent, too much focused on what we can do that we ignore what God can do. Verse 21 says to test everything. So it's not here a call to abandon discernment. But it is an appeal to let God be God and to not arbitrarily decide what he can and can't do. To invite more of what God wants to do in your life and in our midst. We call upon him because we recognize we need him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And that's because only God can ultimately change us. After praying in verse 23 that God would sanctify them completely, and in verse 24 that they would be kept blameless until Jesus is coming, Paul ends this section with the assurance, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Did you know that it's not all up to you? We've been talking about admonishing the idle and and encouraging the faint heart, and we've talked about different things that we're to do and to not do, and, and you can get lost in some of that to think, boy, maybe it's all up to me then. Maybe, maybe this is just a human endeavor. Maybe I've got the whole weight of, of, of all this on me. And so he ends by reminding us that nothing could be farther from the truth. That there is a good God who is at work, not only in our midst, but in your life. And so it doesn't all depend on you. It's not all as a result of your effort. If you have truly repented and by faith put your life in God's hands, you can know with the confidence of Scripture that he is alive and at work in your life. There's a faithful God who's working to change you. There's a faithful God who's working to bless you, to protect you, to take the sin that would otherwise destroy you and to strip it away to sanctify you, to purify you. And to know that is to know assurance. To know that is to have rest that it, it isn't all on me. And, and to look forward with confidence because if it, if it does all depend on me, I can't have any confidence. 
I know myself well enough. I know my heart too well to find confidence and hope for the future because of me. But when I come to the end of this passage and I'm reminded of the faithfulness of God and that appeal, he will surely do it. That is where my confidence is. He gives me confidence for what he's going to do in the midst of us. It's not all, not all up to me. It's not all up to you. He's a faithful God. He will accomplish his purposes in our midst. But the same is true of your life and mine. That if by faith you have put your life in his hands, he begins a good work in your life and he will carry it on to completion. You can rest in that. Even as you seek to stand up each day and say, I give my life back into your hands. I trust you with this day, God. As you do that, you can, you can rest in the assurance that your life is secure in him and he is at work in your life to accomplish his purposes. He is ultimately the one who makes the church all that it can be. So let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are at work in our midst. I thank you for the leaders that you've given us. Would you bless them for their service? Would you reward them for their faithfulness? Would you give them grace when people put big expectations on them but do little to help or encourage? I pray for the idle among us. Would you show them what their part in this body is? I pray for the faint-hearted, for those who just don't know how they'll make it through. Give them hope. Fill them with courage. Remind them that you're still in control. I pray for the weak, for, the, for those who need us to hold them up. Surround them with your loving arms. Be their strength and their help. Show your power and weakness. And Father, keep reminding us that this is a supernatural community. Jesus rules in this place, and it's ultimately more of him that we want. So fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your power. Fill us with holiness. Help us to be all that the church was meant to be. For we ask you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.